and welcome back to BQ Chats. Uh, this episode, we are going to be diving into Acts chapter 10. We took a little break over the holiday season. Um, it was kind of survival mode for us in a busy season with with our three girls. And uh, our, my, my baby girl got had her first Christmas. And I don't know how my kids keep getting away with it, but they seem to get more presents every single year. And they convinced us that they didn't. we didn't get them anything, and then they open up thousands of, of presents but it was a great holiday season Did everyone here have a good holidays yeah yeah, yeah anybody get anybody get any good presents i got a big chat sweatshirt so that hey, was my favorite Christmas hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh that was something i wanted to give everybody that's participated around here because um it's been uh it's been a blessing having all of you involved i mean this this would be you know this wouldn't be any fun without you guys so uh, thank you all. So and it was a, it was a great Christmas here. I um, my wife and I uh, are going on a little getaway. Um, that was kind of I'm going to a Bucks game up in Milwaukee in a, in a couple weeks. So excited to kind of get away and, and have fun in Milwaukee. We've never really spent time in Milwaukee, but um, we'll be going there next week. And our first tournament is tomorrow, as well as Eric's first tournament. So actually, this will be out after um after we're quizzing tomorrow because there's no way i'm getting this out um before then but uh excited for our first tournament hopefully we'll do well um everyone listening can go check the scores and see how we did i guess uh but um yeah we're gonna be leaving early for salem in the morning and um we'll see how the how the quiz season gets started i think my my kids have put in a, a lot of my kids my young ladies and gentlemen have been putting in a lot of work and uh and we'll see how it goes i'm excited to get back into it i haven't coached seniors i didn't coach seniors last year so this will be the first time in two years so i'm excited all right with that uh this is my favorite chapter in the bible i love acts chapter 10 if if all of you are following the bible cuisine uh prayer and fasting channel that some awesome young quizzers have started up with, I believe it's Lane Foster and uh, Daniel Alts. Uh, we, this was my devotion for that. It was over Acts chapter 10. It's the best and it, it points to so many awesome things uh, that are doctrine for us. So really excited to, to get into all of that. Um, all right. Logan is going to read for us today. You ready? Let's do it. All right. All right, y'all. Uh, we're going to start with chapter 10, uh, go one through six. The Bible reads, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, <clears throat> a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in, coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. I made a mistake. We're actually going to go through verse 8. Moving on to verse 7. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So this is the beginning of, we see the life of Cornelius. Um, we see the angel come to Cornelius and tell him, look, you need to go talk to this guy named Peter. Um, have a conversation with him. And we'll get, we'll get more into the conversation in a little bit, but I'll open the floor up to whoever wants to go first in discussing these first eight verses. 
What uh, what <laughs> instrument do you think Cornelius played in the Italian band? <laughs> he had to be a bass player, right? <laughs> Drummer. <laughs> oh, um, man. Does anyone want to cover what a centurion actually is? I believe it's in our study guide. Yeah, so a centurion would be a, a soldier, right? He would be a commander in the Roman army, um, the Italian band being a sect of that Roman army. So he would have been high in the ranks, a very wealthy man um, among among the regimen there in Rome, or in the Roman Empire. So mm-hmm. it says uh, a centurion oversees 80 people, and a, a band um, is about 480 men. Uh, is comprise a band or a cohort in the Roman army. So he, he had the rule of about 80 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think the descriptions of Cornelius is very interesting. You know, whenever you hear a Roman described in the Gospels or in Acts, it's usually not in a positive light. The only other centurion I can think of that had somewhat of a favorable treatment um, up until this point in the story of the Gospels and in Acts is the one that was by the cross of Jesus. Whenever after Jesus died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And so Jews and Romans did not get along very well, right? Um, but you also get this sense that Cornelius is um, almost like in the same way that Nicodemus was with Jesus. He was on the outside of um, the Jesus movement and what was going on in the first century. But he wasn't just so removed from it that he was just a bystander. He started to connect with God in a way that he saw the Jews connect with God. He wasn't just simply, I think, one of these Romans that we'll see, or one of the uh, Gentiles that we'll see, like in Acts 17, that kind of just put Jesus on the pantheon of gods. And, oh, yeah, we'll add him to our list of all the other gods that we already worship. He wasn't that kind of Roman. He was one that had his devotion and his prayers and his good, good deeds dedicated to one God, and that was the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. Um, I think this shows a couple of things. Number one, you can be a great person, right, and still not experience the full effect of salvation. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I do good deeds, right, and I'm, I, I pray to God, and I feel like I have a relationship with God, but, you know, I don't have, I've never spoken in tongues, I don't have the Holy Ghost. I think just like the angel of God didn't say, who are you to give good deeds, or you're just, you know, you're not, you're not a good person because you don't have the Holy Ghost. He said, listen, all those things are good right? They've come up before God as a memorial, but I want you to take this next step. And the angel started to lead Cornelius into greater salvation. I think we can do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, did we get to, yes. So the verse six, I love verse six. I talked about this in my, uh, in my little devotion, but that word oddest actually means must. If you, in the, from the Greek, it's not like you ought to do this. No, it's like you need you have to do this. This is this is necessary for you, um, which means it was necessary for Cornelius to be saved. And so, yeah, I love I love that. Obviously, Cornelius believed, but that wasn't enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was they... praying, fasting. The Bible itself called him devout, right? I, all these things, all the same point. Now, you can do all those things. You can have demons cast out of you, like uh, early, we saw earlier in uh, the missionary journey to Samaria where there was great joy in the city, they were healed, their demons were cast out, and they still didn't have the Holy Ghost. So, Yeah, right. And one thing that I love about this passage is because, you know, the theme 
we're kind of getting into the theme of the book of Acts. You know, we've seen um, the apostles being witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria. Now we're kind of getting into the uttermost parts of the earth territory of Acts 1-8, right? Where, um, you know, we're starting to see elements of not just the Jews being the ones that are able to partake of the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost, but we're seeing glimpses of the Gentiles being worked into the mix of this. And one thing that I think is cool about this is in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that there were men dwelling in Jerusalem who were Jews who were devout men. You know, they were Jews, and the Bible, you know, obviously goes on to say that these men were the ones that were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, but even more so on this Gentile who's, again, a part of a Roman army, you know, who, for Eric, like you said, for most of Scripture is not looked on fondly. He's a devout man, and spoiler alert, we're going to kind of see the same thing happen to him in this chapter as well, where him and his house receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. So um, we're getting into that territory where not just the Jews, not just you know the Old Testament chosen people of God are a part of this, but it's going to be to all the world, to whosoever the Lord our God shall call, right? And I think I think it's really cool. You know, you could almost map um, Paul's experience, like in Acts chapter nine, um, to the question that he asks Cornelius asks in verse four, which is, "What is it, Lord?" Right? Which I'm sure that that Greek word translates the same as as Yahweh, right? That uh, Paul was talking about. So I mean, he already had this posture that whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it, right? Just like the very devout Pharisee Saul had in the pr uh, previous chap chapter. Right. This guy was no worse off than that man who was devout. He didn't practice the law to a T like Saul did, but he had a he had a real relationship with God. I, I do really like the poetic wording of what the angel says that thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. But basically, it was just like God noticed this uh, this man that that loved him, but was missing something. Right. And so. uh Anything to say about that? And it, it, maybe even the, the poetic wording or just the idea that, <clears throat> you know, while believing and being devout is not enough in itself, it is something that God takes note of and reaches those people. Like the eunuch, right? We talked all about this with the eunuch. The eunuch sought and loved God, but he was missing something, and God provided a way for him. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Cornelius, right? Yeah, I also but, find it interesting that... Cornelius himself is kind of showing some signs that even the apostles themselves were showing because uh, I'm getting imagery in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John go up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour, at the hour of prayer. We see that Cornelius is praying at the ninth hour here. Um, the disciples uh, go up to a man that needed alms, you know, was asking an alms. And here we see that Cornelius himself gave the people, gave alms to the people that needed it. So there's shades of uh cornelius you know acting like a disciple of the lord and the lord notices it and it says okay you know this is a guy that i can you know introduce this idea of the gentiles being included in my kingdom i can let this happen through him i can facilitate it through him so um yeah it's just this common theme and shade of what a disciple looks like and what a follower of jesus looks like in acts and you know we can model all this after our lives too. We can be people of prayer, pray regularly, pray consistently, and we can be people that help others, give alms to the poor, and 
help people that need it. Hey, I was going to make a comment um, for the matter when you were saying, um, you know, he, he was doing all the good deeds and God, as it, it was, it's as if God searched him out. And it brings me to the, to the gospels when Jesus is talking about leaving the 99 for the one. And, you know, God sees the good deeds. God sees the, God sees your heart, right? God looks on the inward man looks at the outward, right? So your inward appearance and what you do inwardly does affect you outwardly. Right. And so when Cornelius is keeping all of these good things in mind and he's doing the right things and he's having a good heart and he's trying to genuinely seek after God, God sees that and is like, okay, well, you're, you're making the right, the right necessary moves. So now let me give you the last move. Let me give you this checkmate piece on the board to where now you can make this last move and now you're saved and now you're able to live with me in eternity. And we see this and we'll see this played out in the, in the rest of the chapter, but it's as if God saw his heart, saw his genuine desire to live for him and God left the 99 for the one. And it's, it's just encouraging to all of us, you know, God will search out that person that is lost. God will go after that family member that may not be living for God. God will go after the, <clears throat> the friend that, that's struggling. God will go after that person that backslid from your church. God will seek out the people that, um, that need him. And that's, that, that was one, that's one of the things that I took from this first little bit is even when he was doing the right things and he may not have been, we may not have considered him saved. Um, God still went after him and showed him the necessary tools that he needed to be able to become saved. I think it's really interesting. We often think of God's love, especially in the new Testament as something that, um, I don't know. It doesn't really like we, we experience that it happens. We have this concept of it. But we never really apply it. I think that this is one really interesting glimpse into what it actually means for God to love because he doesn't just love people that he's saved. He loves the world. He didn't just love us because we were going to love him back. That's not what his love is founded on. And uh, I'm reminded of things like Psalms 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, or even this reference about the prayers coming up as an alms. Revelation mentions that there are vials with the prayers of the saints. He cares about things like this. And it sometimes it seems almost silly to us that God would collect, you know, our prayers just to keep before him like an incense, it says, or like in the vials, but he actually really cares about us. That's why he came to earth. That's why he made us is he wanted to walk with us from garden, talking with us and being our friend. And uh, we made him into uh, a distant God because we fell, but he is always doing exactly that coming after the 99, trying to come back to us, making himself man so that he can come and die for us. And, and I think that that kind of pursuing love um, and a tender love is something that is often overlooked, but Cornelius sees it here. Amen. I, uh, another thing that I noticed, we talked about this a lot in Acts chapter eight. Why didn't the people receive the Holy ghost when Philip, uh, went and dad's theory when he was on was, you know, who had the keys to the kingdom? Peter did. And who did the angel tell Cornelius to reach out to? Peter. Why? Because Peter knows Peter has the keys, right? Peter has the keys to get you in the kingdom. Um, so it's kind of, you know, keys for the Jews, the keys for the Samaritans, and the keys for the Gentiles. So I don't know. Sounds plausible enough to me. <laughs> so. Sure. And there's some arguments there that people could swing like, okay, so if we don't have Peter now, why would somebody be able to receive the Holy Ghost in that same way today? But 
I think what you could argue there is that Peter had the kings, uh, the keys of the kingdom and ushering in this new paradigm, you know, specifically for, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in general. He was the one that first preached it to the Jews, but he was also the one that first preached it to the Gentiles. So there's all these. And, you know, he was the one that first laid his hands on the Samaritans, you know, so Peter was the one that kind of helped usher in these new paradigms for the New Testament church. And, you know, we're living in those paradigms. You know, there's no need to usher in what has already been ushered in, which is why I think that that experience is normative and it happens and should happen way more than a lot of people in modern day denominations think. You know, they're so caught up in this idea that if this happens today, then it's like it's adding something onto scripture, you know, and Bible says we can't add or take anything away from this book, you know, but in reality, what we're doing is we are living in principles that have already been ushered in. We're not adding anything to scripture or taking anything away. We're just living in what scripture has presented. Yeah. And I think Avery, to your point, you know, um, in Acts chapter 19, whenever Paul laid his hands on the Ephesian disciples and they received the Holy Ghost, Peter wasn't there, you know? And so to say that Peter had to be there for anyone to ever receive the Holy Ghost, I don't even think is, is scripture on Acts, right? He was obviously the first one, like y'all have been saying, but thereafter, after the paradigm was set, right? The apostles went everywhere teaching that this was an experience for everybody. Right. I heard it preached one time, you know, in the context of the keys, he opened the door and it's still open. We don't have to open it again. God chose him as a leader amongst the disciples and for the establishing. But again, it wasn't about Peter. It was about God having chosen Peter. Exactly. Amen. All right. right, Let's let's go. All right. Uh, We're going to go verses nine through 16 now. Bible reads on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city. Peter went up upon the house to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping, yeah, and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So now we see God showing Peter a vision, and I'll I'll open the floor up to whoever wants to go first. Um, But yeah, we see Peter going up to pray. Uh, We see the vision that God gives Peter to um, kill and eat, (laughs) which (laughs) to me, me, that's good eating right there. (laughs) But to Peter in in his state... um, and to Peter's um, beliefs, he's kind of confused um, at this point. But um, who, who who wants to go first? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, I think the most obvious thing is that these two revelations didn't just come at the same time. Like Peter wasn't just walking throughout the day and God gives him this great vision, right? The direction that Cornelius got and the direction that Peter got both was through prayer, right? And so I think oftentimes we expect, well, God, like, why don't we have you know, visions and miracles and mm-hmm. these divine encounters like the first century did, because I think a lot of times it's because we don't have the prayers that the first century did. And so I think prayer obviously is the, it was the medium through which this miracle happened to the Gentiles. I think it's also pretty funny how God uses uh, Peter's distraction, right? Which was that he was hungry 
in prayer mm-hmm. to kind of like usher in the whole, all right, eat these beasts. <laughs> and so I think that next week, our church is actually doing our uh, annual prayer and fasting or weekly prayer and fasting next week. Uh, and I'm going to keep that in mind, you know, whenever I have the distractions of God, I'm hungry or God, you know, it's hard to pray this hour. I'm going to pray, God, let that distraction be for your glory. Use that distraction yeah. for something great. That's awesome. It's good. I, I like that. Uh, so can, can, for someone that may not know, why was this a big deal that God told Peter to eat this, these wild beasts? Yeah, so there are all kinds of beasts here. And if you want to you know, do your extra reading, Leviticus 11 goes into tons of detail about, and there are other places, but about what kind of animals were clean and unclean for the Jews to eat. And so God had laid down a lot of laws in the Mosaic law about what things were okay, what things were not okay. And uh, looking back with our century's eyes, we can see a lot of those played out with health benefits and other things. But at the time, they didn't really know why. It was just law that was given and they obeyed it. In fact, the Pharisees grew those laws and they said, well, we don't want to cross this. So we're going to make 20 other ones further on. And that's what Jesus was coming and saying. You guys are laying burdens on our people that I never put on them. And so... Anyway, all that to the point that Jews in this day, right, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, they weren't super careful because they were serving all these other gods and everything. But especially in in Jesus's day, the Pharisees being the prime example, but many of the Jews would keep very well to certain elements of the law. And of course, you remember Jesus saying, you know, you're keeping this, but you're not keeping the spirit of it. And I really wanted your hearts and you can go back through the Gospels for all of that. But Peter was, I'm going to use the word inculcated just because it's really long and fun, but he was he was taught at a very young age. They were ingrained in him the laws and you know they memorize large parts of the torah and so he recognizes these immediately as as something he's not supposed to eat right he knows what bacon is but it's not for him and so uh, he has this immediate guttural reaction uh, and just like eric was saying actually a hunger that he had just experienced and so he's probably used to seeing in the markets seeing with the romans whatever these meats everywhere available and just always having to choose to say no say no say no and so the habit in him that has grown with his entire life of recognizing and saying no to what he would consider to be evil comes up and he's like, Hey God, this is not something that I'm going to take a part of. And uh, it's really interesting that God says, do not, uh, do not call unclean what I've called holy or what the phrase, what he say? He says, call, um, not common what I've cleansed, what mm-hmm. I've cleansed. And so uh, it's really interesting because in that context, uh, something that has been cleansed was once dirty. And so you'll see, as we go on in the New Testament, that Paul and some other New Testament writers uh, say many things about food, namely that we're not under the Mosaic food laws anymore. Um, and anyway, Peter doesn't get that whole vision right now. He doesn't go and eat pork. He does go uh, and go see the Gentiles. Anyone want to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think. Oh, sorry. Every, no, go ahead, Eric. Um, you know, based back to what you were saying about call not common what I've cleansed. You know, it's really cool because going along those lines of like the food rules in the Old Testament, the Jews had a real belief that if I even touch something that was unclean, then I would also become like that thing that was also unclean. And like you were saying, Jonathan, in the New Testament, there were even people of the Greeks who kind of hold a very similar philosophy of if there was a God, right? Aristotle said that if there is a God out there, he is a deity or he is a being that cannot be touched with humanity because the moment that he was touched with humanity, he would become corrupt. He, right. He would become mm. sinful. And so Jesus, right. And what we'll see here in, in Peter's experience, 
the New Testament church flips that on its head, right? And says that Jesus, who is God and who is human is humanity as well, he comes and doesn't make himself corrupt, right? By taking on humanity, he comes and makes humanity holy like he is. And Peter is now extending that holiness to what the Jews would have called a corrupt people, which is the Gentiles. And what I find interesting about this encounter is Peter being the stubborn Peter that he is. It takes God giving him this vision three times for Peter <laughs> to be like, all right, okay, something's, something's going on here. But we kind of see something with the number three in Peter. Yeah, yeah, number three in Peter. But also, like, funny you mentioned that, Logan. Anytime I see a number in the Bible, I, like, pay attention because I know that numbers are significant, mean something significant. You got to be careful. Don't read too much into it because. There are people that are like, oh, if I find this number and this number and I count this many letters in a verse, Joe Biden's the Antichrist. You, know? <laughs> you got to be careful with that. But um, one thing that I notice in the Bible is the number six, which we were talking about the hour of prayer, how um, Cornelius, as well as the apostles back in Acts chapter three, they were praying at the ninth hour. But I see that Peter prays at the sixth hour here. And I'm like, OK, that kind of caught my eye. And. The number six in the Bible usually refers to humanity or even sometimes sin. You know, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day. Um, in the last days, speaking of the Antichrist, you know, and the beast and all that, that dreaded number is 666. And that, and I, in my mind, that just refers to, you know, exceeding great sin, you know, having a, you know, prerogative of just coming against everything that God stands for. And we see Peter praying at the sixth hour and we kind of see shades of that, how Peter is kind of thinking in his humanity and God is dealing with that human thought going into this prayer. And he has to kind of remove some of that human thought that, you know, like God, I'm not going to partake of this. This is unholy. This is unclean. But God's like, no, what I have cleansed, what I have made holy, don't call common. You know, it's think outside of your flesh, get your flesh off to the side and see with my eyes for a little bit. And, you know, God has to work on Peter a little bit in that prayer. So that's just something that I thought was interesting. Mm. Kind of going along those lines about numbers, you know, three was brought up, right? This was done thrice as well as six. Um, if you look back at, so obviously Peter denied Jesus three times in the gospels, but then in uh, John 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, right? Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? <laughs> so either like Peter was, a, and I, we all know that Peter was a super stubborn person. He needed things to be done multiple times for him to get it, which gives me hope because yeah, I always like ask God, hey, God, is this really your will? Like, give me, like, say it again. So I know. <laughs> and so, um, so but also, <laughs> yeah. And so it also shows that like, there was this, this idea in the old Testament that God, would confirm his word by two or three witnesses, you know, obviously the, there's two witnesses here, Peter and Cornelius, and it, there was confirmation there. But I think, you know, God furthered that by giving the dream to Peter three times to say, yes, Peter, this is really something that I want you to do. I want you to open your heart and receive it. Mm. I, I thank God for his long suffering with our stubbornness. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and the, this was done thrice. I know we're getting into like pronouns and not, but this is verses 13, 14, and 15. Like all of it. Like three times God said, rise, kill, and eat. And then three times Peter was like, no, no thanks. And three <laughs> times he said, I cleansed it. Don't call it. Con. Yeah. 
I like to think that there was like alligator or crocodile in that sheet too. Hey, that's that's good stuff. That's some good right. eating right there. <laughs> hey, alligator tastes like chicken down in Louisiana. So. Hey, yeah. Amen. I, creeping things is is interesting because creeping things could be a lot of stuff. So slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right. ready to move on? Yep. All right. Well, let's go seventeen through twenty-two. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is, this, what is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nations of the Jew, among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. One of the things I find here that my flesh would not have liked is it doesn't seem like Peter ate. <laughs> he just had to go. <laughs> so I know if I was up there praying and food was being made and God says go, go meet the guys. Can it wait like 30 minutes so I can have some food? <laughs> but in all seriousness, like we, we see the call that God gives to Peter to go minister to Cornelius. And we see Peter answer the call without his food. Um, at least the Bible doesn't mention that he got his food. Um, but I'll open the floor up. Um, but we see here the call that Peter's answering to go minister to Cornelius in this passage. <clears throat> I think that this passage for me, like shows a lot of maturity in Peter, you know, cause there were a couple of times that Peter told God, no, <laughs> it's funny how, whenever we get in those moods where we're like, no, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Whenever it's literally God talking to us. Um, I think I can think of the one time whenever Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet and he's like, no, you're not going to do that. And then whenever he told him, Hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's basically saying, not on my watch. But then, you know, after he, he, he kind of still has that in the first part of the chapter, but now he's like, all right, right. You can kind of see his growth spiritually. And as, as a leader of the church, whenever those men come, right, he doesn't question their motives. I don't even think that he knew who was going to come. Like Jesus didn't tell him Gentiles are going to come to your door. He's just going to say, he said, look, there's somebody coming and be ready to receive them. Whenever he opened the door, he knew he wasn't dealing with Jews. He was dealing with, with Romans. He didn't ask about their motives. He just said, come on in and, and eat. Um, and, you know, what I was thinking about, um, Peter is called the son of Jonah, right, in the Gospels. Um, and we know that obviously that doesn't mean Jonah of the Old Testament, but I think that Jesus made that connection a lot in that kind of play on words in the New Testament referring to Peter. Um, but if you look at the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, it's a very similar call, right? That God was calling Jonah to Nineveh to preach the or to preach the good news to people who weren't Jews, right? Who were Gentiles. He obviously, you know, had to be steered in the right direction by God swallowing him up by a big fish, right? But Peter kind of seems to be the um the antithesis of that, right? And the New Testament that God's given Peter the same call to preach the gospel to these people, but he's going to actually get it right in the New Testament. So I kind of liked that, that connection there. It's good it, stuff. it is interesting to me, verse 17, that he, he still doubted in himself what it should mean. He still didn't understand it. Um, 
but then God confirms it again. It's like, hey, there's three dudes waiting downstairs on you. And imagine, be, you know, that's kind of a confirmation. Be like, okay, well, I guess I'm not hallucinating from my... Yeah, something's going from, on here. You're right. I'm not, you know, having the... I'm not delirious from the hunger, right? Like, I, actually, okay, that really is the Lord's voice. You know, there are three dudes that are waiting on me downstairs. So, um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, well, I think... I just, I think that also shows, you know, God's – God knows how to operate in each and every one of us, right? Because if God would have told Peter, like, look, hey, there's some Gentiles out here that need need the gospel, would Peter really have listened in his stubborn state? Like, if we think about it and we think about Peter and his, his mindset and everything that he thought of, you know, with the gospel and being so ingrained in Jewish tradition, like – and keep in mind, let's look back at – let's look at Paul as well for punishing – the Christian church, like, and you could see so many different things that Peter would say, okay, well, this is a Gentile. So, um, technically like the Romans are occupying my land. Uh, do I really want to give them the good news? Like you add in all of these human elements into ministry that God completely avoids and just says, shows them a vision of, you know, you know, meats that Peter, go, dude, go, go kill, go eat. I know it's not normal, but I've cleansed it to now he tells him, go minister to these people while completely negate, not even bringing up the fact that they were Gentiles to save Peter from himself, to just tell Peter, look, this is my will. This is what I'm calling you to do. Trust me and flow in it and walk in the Holy Ghost and walk in the power and the anointing that I've given you. And Peter, and Peter does it. And Peter does it without even questioning it in, in this case. Whereas if God would have told, like we see that God showed him meat and he's questioning it, God said, there's Gentiles. We don't know what would have happened, but at the same time, God uses his infinite wisdom in this situation to allow Peter the opportunity to be able to minister out of pure intentions and, a, and pure heart, not out of a heart that's like, ah, I got to go do this because God told me to. Yeah, and we even see in verse 23, Logan, where it says that Peter called the three men in and he lodged them. He showed hospitality to them and gave them a place to stay for the night. So he actually might've gotten his food. They might've all had dinner together. <laughs> but um, so yeah, again, going off of that idea that, you know, Peter is talking to these Gentiles whose people is occupying the land that God had promised Peter's people to have. And instead of looking on these people with, you know, disdain in that moment, he shows the hospitality that he and his people themselves were not offered, you know, and how Christian is that? Like, pray for those and bless those that persecute you. And, right. you know, there's always that element of, you know, be the bigger person morally as a Christian, you know, what people do to you, don't do the same to them, but rather do what you would want them to do to you, you know, and how often did we see the Jews pray for them to have their land back for them to be treated kindly by other nations. But rather than waiting on these other nations to treat them fairly, we see that the disciples and uh, the Christians are beginning to get to that point where Jesus is saying, you treat them how you would want them to treat you. So, yeah. I think it just shows the true forgiveness that Peter found within himself as well. because. These are the same people that killed his savior and caused Peter to almost lose his entire calling. If it wasn't for Jesus showing up on the scene in John 21 and saying, dude, like, I, I kind of need you here. Like, I, there's a, th that 
chapter 21 that you brought up earlier, Eric, is very monumental to me. And the fact that Jesus comes to Peter and asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I have a call for you. Like just because you failed and messed up does not mean that your calling and your anointing is negated. I still need you to minister. And we see in the, and we see that it's all beginning to come full circle for Peter. The people, the, the Romans that he tried to kill with a sword when Jesus was being arrested is now the people that he's beginning to minister to. That's a good point. I think Avery mentioned it and it came to mind in a way that I never thought of before because I was just reading Joshua when they were actually splitting up the land for the first time and giving it to the people of Israel. They had cities in there that were set, some of them as cities of refuge to protect people who accidentally murdered, but also cities that were placed in order to help them serve the, the strangers and the foreigners in the land. And if you look through the Old Testament, there are many times where God will specifically write in, hey, at this feast, make sure that you serve people that aren't from you and that you make them feel welcome. Um, and it's such an interesting concept because we think of the Old Testament as being closed and you know, it wasn't really the God of love back then. It was the God of war and all these other things. But you see God consistent throughout the entire Bible. Mm -hmm. You can see his love and his mercy and his openness. And uh, on into the prophets, you see him prophesying over and over and over. I will be known by people who have not called my name and I will be known. And, and he's saying, I will come to them. They will serve me. They will come to the Jews and ask where to find me. Right. And you see this. But only now uh, would you really recognize it because they were reading all of those passages for decades, millennia even, saying that these people are not us. We don't want them. Um, and we're going to chop off their ear. So I think it's really interesting that God is bringing this about here. And one thing you said earlier, Logan, about maybe or maybe he didn't get food at the time. I think it's really important that we fast. And I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get over to Cornelius. But I'm reminded of the time in John chapter 4 when uh, Jesus says, my, my meat, my food, my sustenance is to do the will of him that sent me. So in many ways, even if Peter hadn't gotten to have his fish sandwich or whatever he was going to have, um, if he had gone straight into the will of God, uh, I think that that gives a sustenance to our souls that is the food that we are searching for, even when we can't stop to grab a bite to eat. And, and that's far more important in some ways uh, than food is to our earthly body. We don't feed it enough. And to that yeah. point, Jonathan, you know, I think, um, you know, based on like the that whole conversation of flesh versus spirit, you know, Jesus didn't give him the explanation of the vision, right? And if you compare this passage to something in the Gospels, Peter would have said in the Gospels something like, why are you speaking in riddles? Like, just tell it to us plainly, you know? And then uh -huh. you get this, uh -huh. and it's like, he just knows whenever these people come to his door what the application of of the the vision is. And so I think to your point, Jonathan, fasting opens up that that um that door for us to be able to discern what the spirit's saying, right? It, we crucify Absolutely. the flesh to be able to to pray in the spirit. And the, so I think you know in those times and those moments where God's giving you a word and you don't understand what the interpretation or God, how do I apply what you're saying? That might be a call for you to pray harder and, and maybe fast more. Yeah, and one application of fasting that I think we sometimes forget, I can't remember the verse, but I believe it's in the Old Testament where, uh, I think it's in Isaiah, actually, where God is talking through the prophet Isaiah, and he's kind of rebuking Israel, and he's like, why are you guys doing these fasts, you know, when you are, again, I can't remember everything that he says, but he's like, do you not know that you are supposed to fast so that instead of eating yourselves that you can feed those people that are hungry, those people that are in need? Isaiah 58. I looked yeah, it up for I, you. Yeah. 
as FDA. <laughs> but um, again, that element there, we kind of see it here with Peter rather than eating himself. You know, uh, a situation arises where he denies himself of his own, you know, needs and maybe even pleasure in eating. And he goes to serve the needs of these three men. And then later, Cornelius, the one that sent them. So not only is fasting for our own benefit in removing our flesh so that we can be greater, um, uh, better sensitive to the will of the Holy Ghost, but also so that we can get our eyes off of our own needs and be more focused on those that need more than we do, you know, and maybe we are the ones that God is calling to facilitate a need, but because we don't fast, we don't have the capabilities or we are not prepared like God wants us to, to meet that need. So. All right, y'all let's move on to uh, verses 23 through 33. Then called he them in, and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And, and the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he walked with him, he went in, and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done, no, sorry, and thou hast well done that, that thou art come. Oh my word. <laughs> Practice that before you have to quote it. <laughs> now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. <clears throat> so now here we have Peter officially going and answering the call of God and beginning to starting the ministry to the Gentiles in this passage. And now I'll open it up to anyone who has anything to say in this passage. But I, I think Peter did eventually get his food. I, th I think it says in 23. So we're happy now. <laughs> we're not yeah, angry sure. anymore. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I actually found interesting in this portion of scripture that I never really caught before is when Peter finally gets to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius himself falls down and begins to worship Peter. And um, we see elements of this throughout the New Testament too. For example, when Paul and later in the book of Acts is shipwrecked on um, the island of Malta, he uh, gets bit by the snake and then he shakes it off and nothing happens. And these people think that Paul is a god because he, you know, was bit by this venomous snake and didn't die. And, you know, we see these other elements where uh, when Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journeys, they did these awesome miracles and wonders and signs, and they actually referred to them as uh, Zeus and Hermes. They referred to Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. So there's this um, sneaky little spirit of idolatry that can creep in on somebody doing a work of God if you're not careful. And I would say even we as Pentecostals can do this today. When we see a man get up on the stage at Youth Congress and he preaches the house down and people are filled with the Holy Ghost, it's really easy to set a man like that on a pedestal. 
you know, but you got to be careful like that because Peter even says, he's like, Hey, I'm just a man. You know, if you set me on a pedestal, if you give me more reverence than I deserve, more honor than I deserve, I'm going to let you down. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, Peter could probably be thinking, as a matter of fact, two minutes ago, I was arguing with God about even coming here. So, um, you know, we got to be careful on, you know, we need to give honor to whom honor is due. But at the same time, we're not called to set men on this pedestal. You know, we're not called to you know, if you want to phrase it that way, worship the people that God has put in our life to um, have a spiritual authority over us. We're called to obey them and to show reverence to them. But at the same time, who is the object of our worship? You know, what is the object of our worship? Is it that office and that calling that we're seeking after? Or is it the God that grants that office and that calling? So that's a... I think that's such a good point because when we give honor where honor is due which is biblical and when we show reverence to our elders which is biblical right there is a, a line at some point where we, we can go over much and i'm actually reminded i mentioned earlier i was reading in judges and joshua but it's really interesting even very in church kind of people like gideon's family right when gideon is called of god the first thing god tells him to do is go tear down his father's statue to Baal. And you're like, what on earth? Where did that come from? Like, this guy seems to be Jewish. He seems to be, right? or or in our days, these these people are in church. Like, where did that subtle idolatry come from? And uh, I think it's such a good point that we have to tear those things down and be careful uh, because ultimately man is going to fail you, but God will not fail you. And although we can recognize someone doing an excellent work, ultimately it's God the one that's the one that's giving the increase, right? Man will water and man will plant, but God is going to give the increase. And so all of our glory has to go back to him. And also on that point, Jonathan, we look at the extreme end in this instance, when Cornelius looked at Peter and worshiped him. But on the flip side, I feel like there's people in church nowadays where they look at the man of God and all they can see is their humanity. All they can see is their flaws. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I can't go here because this person that is leading me is too imperfect. To which I would say, have you read most of the Bible where all of the leaders were perfect? No. <laughs> you know, every single person I feel like that God calls, there is going to be issues in that person's life because, again, they are just a man. They are just a woman. They are still human. And that's the beautiful thing about the church because it's it shows no matter no matter how big our flaws are, no matter how prevalent our mistakes are god is still able to have his hand in our lives god is still able to use our leadership god is still able to use you know us as saints us as people that are called by his name for that fact we are called by his name as many of us as have been baptized into christ have put on christ so that we are no more our own but it's christ that lives in us right so you know as much as we can see the flaws in and ourselves we can recognize that the person that is over us is also going to have those mistakes and is also going to have those flaws. But as much as God has had his grace in our lives, we can also rest assured that God is going to have his grace prevalent in this man of God's life as well as his ministry. So. That was awesome. Cool. Um, all right. 
I think this is the first time Eric didn't have a big spiel after a uh, after a section of a reading. I'm impressed. Yeah, Eric, Eric, y'all, 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 y'all that... got Eric to hush a little bit. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> Dang, is that my my uh, MO? Just big spiels. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, thoughtful, Actually, educational spiels. It's better to listen than to talk, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother uh, Avery, I'm going to let you do all the talking. <laughs> please, no. <laughs> all right, let's, let's, let's move on. Go ahead. All right, uh, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The, that word I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them, or for God was with him. So we see the beginning of, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. We see the beginning of Peter's message, starting with, you know, God is no respecter of persons, ultimately giving the line of like, look, in God's eyes, we are the same individual from him to Cornelius. Like there is no distinction um, of individuals, um, but that in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with God. And we see Peter begin to go on and talk about how God was anointed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and then you killed him, and then uh, goes through the whole entire story again. Peter, of course, kind of throwing that little knife in there, like, dude, you didn't have to kill him, type of thing. <laughs> but um, he 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 makes this whole makes this whole point um, to Cornelius and begins to open up the conversation with um, with this with this Gentile, of course. Um, and I'll, I'll open up the floor to if Eric wants to go first and give a spiel, he can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to say, I, I was just really curious as you were reading it and uh, he is Lord of all. I was like, wait, is that, is that Luke or is that Peter? And it looks like it's Peter who just like in, I guess he, you know, he just couldn't talk about Jesus without, you know, throwing that in there. He's, right. He's <laughs> <laughs> he he did this. He did this whenever he yeah. said that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, Lord. Okay, now no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, like, the biggest premise that Peter starts with to introduce the gospel is the foundation that their God does not show any partiality. And he preaches this as if, like, he's just done this. Like, but he himself just came into the revelation of this a couple minutes before, or a couple, you know, hours he's talking before. through it in his head. He's like, oh. Yeah, it's like, yeah, let me let me use this as like the foundation to preach the gospel. And that I think that just shows Peter's um, willingness to insert the gospel in every situation that he comes in contact. Uh, it it kind of goes back to the to the message that the gospel message itself doesn't change. You can present it to different audiences in different lights to help that audience understand the gospel. But at the end of the day, we're preaching that Jesus Christ came as a human. He died for our sins. And now he offers salvation through the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, I think I saw one of the quotes that I was looking at whenever I was um, studying for this chapter. And it said that the greatest conversion of Acts chapter 10 isn't the conversion of Cornelius. It's the conversion of Peter, you know. Mm. And, you know, Cornelius obviously... Good. Because of Cornelius is receiving the Holy Ghost, we all in this conversation have the opportunity to come to God 
But I think because of Peter's understanding that God was reaching from the Old Testament, as Jonathan mentioned, there's hints of it in the Old Testament until this grand finale, right? God's promise in the Old Testament to Abraham that you're going to be the father of many nations was fulfilled in Acts chapter 10. Um, Peter is now coming to say, okay, I can now go to the uttermost part of the earth. I can now go beyond Joppa right beyond Caesarea and preach this to, to the ends of the world. There's no stopping this gospel. This gospel isn't just a Jewish gospel. It started with a Jewish man, but the extent of it goes far beyond Jerusalem. And along with that, Eric, like you mentioned, the message didn't change. You know, I find it interesting because nowadays when I think about preaching or if in a situation where I'm up preaching or teaching, I want to be like, I want to present this to people in a way that they can understand. But sometimes I get down to the path like, you know, will this crowd receive it like this? Or will this crowd receive it like this? But if you preach Jesus and you preach the gospel, no matter what audience you're in front of, no matter what audience is going to be hearing your words, it's going to pack a punch. You know, these because these were Gentiles. Peter preaches the exact same thing that he preached on the day of Pentecost. Almost. He preached, you know, Christ crucified, Christ glorified. You know, so um, we keep seeing the consistent message of the gospel preached to every single person that it's preached to in Acts, and it works every time. So when in doubt, preach the gospel and it'll work. You know, and I think too, Avery, to your point, you know, everyone at this time had a direct relationship with the crucifixion of Jesus. I don't know if Cornelius like himself had a direct impact on the crucifixion of Jesus. Probably not. But the Jews and the Romans, the whole point of the gospel, that everyone is guilty before God, was literally presented, manifested with these two cultural groups. Because the Jews were the one that accused him, and the Romans were the ones that fulfilled crucified. the accusation and crucified him. Mm -hmm. So the whole point that, guess what, everyone is guilty before the cross stood in both the preaching to the Jews and the preaching to the Gentiles. That's good. Mm. Yep. All right. All right. On to verses 39, verse number 39. <clears throat> and the Bible reads, And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And now, in this passage, we now see the gospel preached. We see that Peter gives the ultimate call to Cornelius and to those that were gathered with him um, that they shall receive remission of sins. With the caveat, whosoever believes in him shall receive the remission of sins. And I'll open it up now, but we just see starting to see the culmination of the story and the culmination of the gospel message being preached to Cornelius and his, and those that were gathered together with him. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think the end there, right. The last statement that he makes is kind of the culmination of his message that listen, Jesus Christ, he was a human being. He came, he died and whoever puts his faith on him and his faith in him will receive remission of sins. Now, Faith, as we talked about earlier, isn't the same thing as just having a cognitive um, belief in something. Because if that's if that was the case, Cornelius would have said, "Check, right." So 
if that was the case, Cornelius would have know. already received remission of sins. So there was no point for Peter to say, believe on Jesus, right? He said, I want you to continue in your faith in Jesus to the point where you will receive remission of sins, which we know through our conversations occurs at water baptism. And we'll see that they're baptized later on. Um, but it's the same faith, the same faith that will continue for them to receive the Holy Ghost later on in the same chapter. Amen. Right. And Phil, you even said at the beginning of the chapter, when the angel first appeared to Cornelius, he said, send for one of Simon Peter, and he will show you what you ought us to do. You know, there's an action response to the message that Peter is preaching, like we've seen in every other chapter in the book of Acts. And the, as we're going to see in the, the next couple of verses, you know, the pattern and the response to the gospel is always the same, but we'll get more into it in a couple of verses. Amen. I think Peter's, it's really interesting. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, just the tie between like witnesses and then remission of sins or forgiveness. I've never seen this before, but I was reminded of the Hebrews verse that says, seeing as we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us put off these things that have weighed us down. Mm -hmm. And we see here also that Peter is saying, all the prophets have been a witness of him and we were made witnesses of him. And therefore you need to believe and have remission of sins. It's really interesting that those two things are connected because we often think about repentance as something that we do just to God. Um, and you're like, please, Lord, don't let anyone know about my sin, but I am sorry about it. So please uh, wipe it off my record. But we see in places, even like James, where it says, confess your faults one to another and pray for another, that you may be healed, that you may be restored to holds, wholeness, whether it's your physical body, whether it's your mental body. Um, I think that this is a really interesting theme, and I, I'm not sure that I understand it all the way, but there's a tie between confessing and letting it be known and having healing. Actually, I think we were in Galatians earlier talking about uh, five, maybe, but in six, it says, if anyone is found with a fault, then ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself so that you don't fall back into that temptation. So you can get to the other side. Even once you've repented, you have to look backwards from that group strength and unity and say, hey, we're going to work on keeping the brother strong. We're not going to fall back into this even though uh, one of our, our family has done that. And so anyway, I think it's really interesting that you can have groups of people that are accountable to each other or sins that are committed to a community uh, and confessed in a community so the whole community can actually work toward keeping yourself out of that sin later. I'm not sure that that's the point of this passage, but I thought it was interesting and I'd never seen it before. Yeah, and Jonathan, I think about kind of a courtroom scene, you know, we know that term witness, like we talked about, is a lot of times a legal sense where somebody goes and they witness and they testify of what uh, they saw happen in a certain situation. And a lot of times we think of ourselves as witnesses for Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. but in a way, you know, sometimes we can put ourselves in the judge seat and we see all of these great witnesses of what Jesus has done, the prophets, the apostles, the word of God and all this stuff. And sometimes we need to make the judgment call, you know, I, pointing to me need to get right. You know, sometimes, you know, Jesus is the ultimate judge, but I feel like sometimes we need to do a little bit of judging on ourselves, you know, to lay aside every sin, every weight that does so easily beset us, you know, and walk in the way of God. And we see exactly what, exactly that happened here in the situation with Cornelius. You know, there was a, um, Peter preached to them, and he, with the benefit of all these witnesses, including himself and everybody that saw Jesus, as well as the prophets and Cornelius and his house is like, okay, you know, I need to make this change. You know, they made that judgment call and 
all the better for it. You know, and we even referenced this in, I feel like we, I feel like we did in some of our previous podcasts, but you can be your biggest preacher. You know, you can preach to yourself, you know, if you, if you've been around the word of God long enough, you know, you have things to preach to yourself. You have ways to instruct yourself and meditate on when you go throughout your day. You have these witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, Jonathan, like you said, but we need to let those witnesses and the voice of those witnesses ring out true in our day and influence our action and get into our response yeah. to the word of God. It's good. Amen. It's good. <clears throat> All right. right. Let's take us home. Uh, start, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. I'll make one little note. Great little verse, great little passage you can use if you're witnessing to someone about baptism in Jesus' name. Because it is not, it, it's, and I think, Jonathan, we've had conversations about this prior, about this exact passage, that it says, be baptized in the name of the Lord. Not just in the titles, but actually calling on the name, which, as we know, being the name of Jesus. But that's just one note that I, that I when reading, I wanted to make <clears throat> that I came that I came out of from this passage, but also we see now is the official culmination of everything. We see plan of salvation in full effect at the end of this chapter. And we see, they received the gift of the Holy ghost. It says that in verse 46, they speak with tongues. And then in verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then I'll, I'll open it up to anyone else who has anything else to say. Yeah, I would say, you know, um, <clears throat> Peter didn't even talk about the Holy ghost. You know, nope. in in this passage, he just talks about the cross, talks about salvation now giving uh, being being given to the Gentiles, and then while he speaks, the Holy Ghost falls. I think sometimes he doesn't he didn't he didn't mention tongues. You know, he didn't mention any of the signs. He just said, "This is for you." I think sometimes we try to, you know, really emphasize the sign of tongues, right? And that kind of is the focus of our message. When really our focus on, on the salvation message needs to be on Jesus Absolutely. and what he's given to us, right? And tongues will follow, right? We don't, mm -hmm. as one as Pentecostals, we don't focus on tongues as being, right, the the culmination of salvation. Tongues is simply a sign that follows someone receiving the Holy Ghost. And I think this is a beautiful uh, story or beautiful depiction showing showing that theology that tongues will follow if we just have the right message about salvation preached. And I think a really interesting point with that too, and very important in the whole discussion about what tongues are and where they are shown in Acts. 46 here is one of the strongest pro-tongue like verses in the war in the Bible because it says, for they heard them speak with tongues. And that means what? It means that they knew that the gift of the Holy Ghost was put out on the Gentiles because for the express reason that they heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. And good. just a, a quick aside, I have had many hours discussing this with friends. And one of my friends said that it was that they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So magnifying God could also be a sign of the Holy Ghost. Well, if you look at that word in the Greek and you find it anywhere else, it's never associated with speaking. It's actually an action. Um, 
that is like in a group setting. Anyway, very interesting. Go look up the word. It's not about verbs. It's about people, or it's not about words. It's about people coming together and letting their their life and their actions manifest the glory of God. And so anyway, it's really interesting that one, Peter said, we know because. Now you can make an argument later if you wanted to, that there are other ways that you can know that somebody received the Holy Ghost. But what you can't argue from this verse is that when we see tongues, we must be able to say, that is the Holy Ghost, because that's exactly what Peter did. And so if Peter did it, I think it's valid for us to do. Um, and then if you look with the other instances of tongues in the New Testament, um, it does make a much more full picture that it often accompanies uh, being baptized with the Holy Ghost. There's one place in Acts chapter 8 that it could be uh, disputed, but here, definitely not. And it even came in the middle of a sermon. So the whole thing about, you know, Paul and Corinthians 12 through 14 and not being interruptive uh, is probably good, but God can break those rules if he wants to sometimes. And I think we need to follow them as best we can. But of course, God is going to do what he wants. Which, and again, Jonathan, I think that even further illustrates, um, you know, in First Corinthians, Paul is talking about the gifts of the spirit and the work oh, of the and the work of the gifts of the spirit, the work of the gift of tongues for the edification of the church. This is a completely different kind of tongue and operation here. It's not for the edification of the church necessarily, although in some ways you could argue that the church was edified in the scenario, but it's for the express purpose of the initial sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which again, um, people get hung up on first Corinthians a lot because you know, they're like, Paul says, not everybody speaks in tongues. And what he's really saying is not everybody is used in the administration of the subsequent gift of tongues. Yeah, the after gifts. yeah right. And, um, you know, I've never, I've spoken in tongues when I received the Holy Ghost and even in my own personal prayer life, but I've never given a tongue to be interpreted to the church, you know? And, you know, and one reason why I love that passage in first Corinthians is because Paul even puts parameters on that gift. He says, if you're going to give a tongue for someone to interpret at the most, let two or three give the tongue and let one person interpret. But here, number one, there's no interpreter. And number two, all of them spoke in tongues. You know, there was no um, order set, you know, but rather God poured out the Holy Ghost and there was no really parameters with it, except that God poured it out. So you can see if you really dig into it, the different administrations that the spirit has particularly with tongues but um yeah it's a really interesting thing to study and really really edifying when talking to people that have a different view than we do and it's helpful to know and helpful to be able to have for a discussion but yeah and eric to your point um we don't put a premium on the sign of tongues you know that's not what we're seeking after but when mm -hmm. i i got i received the holy ghost on my ninth birthday actually and i wasn't seeking to speak in tongues but i was seeking the holy ghost i really wanted the holy ghost i wanted god to you know dwell in me and and fill my life and fill my heart and that sign followed once it happened i wasn't seeking for speaking in tongues as a matter of fact it kind of weirded me out i didn't really understand what it was but i was seeking the holy ghost and that happened, you know, it, that sign accompanied the infilling of the Holy Ghost as it did in the book of Acts. So, Amen. yeah, you know, based on what you were saying earlier too, Avery, about um, the different instances of tongues, you know, some people argue, well, in Acts chapter two, the reason why tongues, you know, accompanied the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is because there were many different cultural groups that were in the upper room. And so they had to 
that is all speaking each other's language for them to be understood to the multitude. Um, but if you look right here, there's no other cultural groups present um, at Cornelius's house, but the sign of tongues is still there. And so if we are to, you know, use the argument of, well, if we're going to speak in tongues, we should expect to see, you know, for the purpose of preaching a message to multiple cultural groups. Well, the book of Acts defies that here. It defies that in Acts chapter 19, and it defies that in Acts chapter 8, whenever there was a distinct experience of the Samaritans receiving the Holy Ghost. Right. Um, I'll, also, I love Peter's question, right? Can any man forbid water mm -hmm. that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? It's almost like that question um, that uh, the council made right back in acts chapter uh four i believe it is whenever they saw the lame man standing with peter and john they could say nothing against it <laughs> right? it's like we see the sign of the miracle right it's really it's tangible it's with my own eyes i can see it and experience it so i can say nothing against it right i just have to accept it and the jews that were with peter had to do the same thing here they were like well look right. this goes against what I've been taught, this goes against my traditions, but I have to accept it because the sign of the miracle was here and the sign of that was, was tongues. Yeah, we even see that. I mean, we'll get into it obviously here in the next couple of episodes, but when Peter goes back to Jerusalem and is talking to the Jews about the Gentiles receiving the Holy Ghost, you know, some of them are like, Peter, what are you doing, man? Like, these are Gentiles. Why are you going and preaching to them? And Peter's like, bro, I just work here. <laughs> you know. So yeah, Peter is talking to the apostles and you know he's like i didn't even fully understand it myself but what i do know is god clearly poured out the holy ghost on all of them just like he did with us so he's you know he's saying you know i don't really get it either i don't understand it either but one thing's for certain god did give the kingdom to the gentiles so who are we to discriminate you know again it's good peter is going back to the initial encounter that he had with jesus what i have cleansed you don't call on common, you know, what I have accepted into my kingdom, you don't disregard, you know, you don't uh, disqualify what I have qualified. So it's really cool to see just how the, um, you know, the Acts 1-8, uh, I'm blanking on the verse here. Uh, you show us yeah, uh, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. All of this, we're finally seeing the uttermost part of the earth, all the full swing, everybody besides just Jews being engrafted into the body of Christ. And, you know, this is the church that we are going to see going forward, not just the Jews, not just the people that called themselves Israelites, but literally everybody, you know, Jews, Greek, bond, free, male, female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, and while we're in 11, you mentioned it really quickly while we're talking also about, you know, foundational doctrines of the church. I think it's interesting. Peter says specifically, who is I that I could withstand God in mm -hmm. 11 when he's retelling the story? And that is specifically in context of him baptizing them in the name of Jesus. And so for people who think that baptism in the name of Jesus is not necessary to salvation or that it's a work of man and therefore it can't be uh, possible in salvation, whatever. Right. Peter said, I would be standing against the purpose of God if I was to refuse baptism to these people. Mm. And uh, in baptism in Jesus' name, by the way, because we said that earlier. And it's not just like the idea of Jesus. You were thinking happy thoughts about him. Because if you go to Acts chapter 22, 16, Paul uses a word there when he says calling on the name of the Lord that means vocally invoking. Um, and if you wanted to 
I apologize. I was just talking to a friend about this. So all this is on my mind. If you wanted to say that we had to quote Jesus from, uh, from Matthew chapter 28, 19, Jesus doesn't say Jesus in his 28, 19 phrase. So if Paul says you must vocally invoke the name of Jesus, he must be saying that we don't quote Jesus from 28, 19, mm -hmm. which is to say we obey Jesus from 28, 19, which is to say we do baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, but that name is a name and we right. say it. It's not just a Amen. phrase. You don't pray for peace by saying for peace. That's so good. Mm. And, you know, while we're on the topic of baptism, um, some people use 1048 as, oh, well, this is another one of those where obviously it doesn't say Jesus, the name Jesus. Um, so the name and titles doesn't really matter. Y'all are just caught up in semantics. If you look at older manuscripts, right, of the same passage, most of the older manuscripts actually use mm -hmm. baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they actually put Jesus on the end of this, this phrase. So with, I mean, with or without the name, I think it's throughout, throughout the other verses of Acts, uh, it's clear that you must say the name of Jesus, right. And, and water baptism. Mm -hmm. And sometimes well, people get hung up on like, sorry if I cut somebody off there, but, um, okay, go ahead, some, sure. Some people uh, get caught up on like the salvation formula here. They're like, okay, you know, I need to repent. You say, I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You say, I need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, but how? In what order? Does the order matter? You know, but it's more of like a, you know, one plus two plus three equals six. But if you take well, one... I would sorry, say the order ahead. does... I would say the order does matter. It's just the last two don't matter. The order of the well, last two don't matter. Right? Well, I think the attitude of repentance is necessary in all of those, but it's kind of like... I was going to say it's like one plus two plus three equals six. But if you take one of those numbers out, it no longer equals six, you know? So it's like all of these factors are necessary to enter into salvation. You know, it's not so much the order, but it's about the experience that happens. It's about the action that is taken in faith. You know, I feel like that's the key part there in faith is, the necessary part in faith, you repent in faith, you are baptized in Jesus name. And in faith, you receive the gift of the Holy ghost. That is what matters. It's not necessarily the step by step order. That is the case. And we see that because some people received the Holy ghost before they were baptized. Other people like in Acts chapter eight were baptized before they received the gift of the Holy ghost. So one point that I wanted to make was uh, if you like Jonathan's thoughts on the Holy ghost and baptism, uh, you need to reach out to him because he has some crazy awesome essays on the on the two things. Jonathan, how can they? How can someone reach out to you and and get uh, get a hold of these things? Oh sure. So I I go by the same name on my email address as on Instagram. It's three words put together. It's the Quiddity Muse, and then my email is at Gmail, and on Instagram it's just at the Quiddity Muse. Quiddity is spelled Q U I. D-D-I-T-Y. It's an old word that means the essence of something. Anyway, uh, I'd love to send those out, get feedback on them. I put a lot of work into them and they are very long, but they are modular. So you can kind of go through in pieces. Uh, it, the the tongues one is really good. You get go into the different <laughs> words, like the different Greek words of the, of the tongues that are used and how they're used in the different situations. Uh, I actually used it to teach a lesson on, uh, well, I use your baptism one to teach a lesson on baptism to help. I had a lesson, but then I use your, your essay to really um, bring a few more things out. So, uh, yeah, everybody should. 
definitely reach out to Jonathan and, and get those if you're interested. They're 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 long, but they are they're great. They're they're it's absolutely been helpful to you. Um, so the other thing I was gonna say, um, shoot, I lost it. <laughs> Hold on, what did wait? What was it? <laughs> oh my gosh! Acts ten, Holy Ghost baptism, Cornelius. Great hey, sheet net. <laughs> it was. Oh, okay, I think I know. I think I know what it was. Okay, I got it. All right. Um, the other point I wanted to make is that when it, when it comes to um to to baptism being essential, we've talked about the order. You know, the order doesn't really matter. But if all that matters is you have the Holy Ghost, then why do these people need to get baptized? Right? Like if 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 the point is, you know, it's not that you need to be baptized to get the Holy Ghost, right? I think that when we are baptized in the name of Jesus, we receive a promise. He says, you, if you repent and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But it's not necessary to get there. But obviously, if if baptism wasn't necessary, Peter should have been like, <laughs> hey, you know, like, you guys skipped a step. Good job. You got to the end result. But that's not what happens, right? He, they, they, he, Peter's like, we had to baptize these people. We can't forbid water to them. And then, like Jonathan brought out, I can't withstand God. The will of God was for them to get baptized, even though they already had the Spirit of God living inside of them. Um, yeah, when so, one thing happened, the f- instruction to do the other thing always followed. Right. It's, it's uh, water and spirit. Water and spirit. Water and spirit. All the way through from from John three, I say from the beginning all through of the creation. book of Acts, it's, it's water, water and spirit. And spirit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, amen. Yeah, that's really good, actually. Um, all right, what else we got on the on the end of uh, the end of this chapter here? Is that it. Everyone's everyone's happy. It. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, what an awesome chapter. I love I, lo- I love this chapter. Um especially the beginning and the end. I feel like the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter are just awesome. I mean the middle of the chapter is very important obviously, but like the beginning and the end are just so crucial and so great points and like John said um the verse um oh goodness, I lost it. Five, verse 46, like how crucial it is to the to the doctrine of of tongues and the, and the Holy Ghost. Um Love this chapter. Okay, uh, we have uh, ten chapters down <laughs> and uh, and four more to go. Four so, to go. Yeah, chapter eleven. We um, there's a lot of recounting of this chapter in it as Peter. Um, there's a there's a lot of cross references that are going to happen between chapter ten and chapter eleven. Um, but uh, it's it's you know we're we're going to memorize basically the retelling of the same story we just memorized. But it's uh, it's it's really good. Um, I'm excited to get into chapter eleven next time. But now that we're done with this chapter, uh, we like to do our MVP verses. So, Jonathan, you already kind of said yours. Do you want to? Do you want to say? Do you want to reiterate anything on on your verse? Well, I mean, I as far as as useful verses when you're talking to people, I think that one definitely comes up to the top because the the Bible is not made out of grammar necessarily. I mean, it is, but it's not made for grammar, but sometimes, especially when people don't, don't grow up with a certain understanding of it and you just have to come back down. Okay. What does this mean? 
in English and then if you want to, you can go back to Greek, you can go back to Hebrew, but you got to start with the language that people actually have. That's Paul's whole point in, uh, in Corinthians too. You got to address somebody in a language that they understand. So come when you're coming down to the very basics of this, you know, understanding the word, both in like the broad, what it means, as well as like what it actually, what it means in context of the rest of the Bible versus what it actually says in the verse. I think that verses like 46, where Peter says, look, tongues and Holy Ghost. Okay, I can make that connection. I think that sometimes we get too smart for ourselves and we're trying to make these huge theological, ethereal understandings. But Peter's just like, hey, I see one thing and, and there's the other. So sometimes we got to get simple with our with our witnessing and with our reading. And anyway, we have to come to God as a little child, someone said. So. Mm-hmm. Amen. I like um, kind of verses 34 and 35. Um, Peter's words of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, <laughs> he that feareth him and worketh righteousness. <laughs> still with him. I knew I should have um, jumped on I it. I feel like that's kind of the whole basis of Peter's message um, in in the book of Acts chapter 10. And it's also just the whole theme of the whole chapter that God is extending love. It's not based on creed. It's not based on social status. It's not based on, you know, race, ethnicity, whatever it is. In every nation, if there's a heart that seeks after God, God's going to find them and grant salvation to them. Hey, y'all know the game. Y'all got to get in here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to steal it if you don't jump on. <laughs> um, I'm going to go verse 14, actually. Um, not for Peter saying no, um, but the spirit that he had when saying no. And it's it's more of a revelation to me. I heard a message by uh, Brother Landon Gore uh, this last week, and he talks about um, the importance of lordship in your life. And Peter, in this instance of verse 14, he says, not so Lord. He wasn't necessarily saying no out of rebellion and out of we, we and we jested about it and his stubbornness. But I think at the, at his spirit in this moment is saying like, "This is everything that I've been taught, and now all of a sudden it's changing. Like everything in my life has been going one particular way. It's been traditions, it's been standards, yada yada yada, up to this point, and now all of a sudden you're telling me to go away from it." And so Peter in this moment doesn't necessarily give a hard standing on a rock no i'm not going to do this i'm going to be stubborn in this but it was more so his spirit behind it It was like i i I picture it as him like questioning like not so lord like this is what i thought was the right the right thing to do to where god is now giving him an opportunity to teach him like no like i've i've done all of this i've created a pathway i've created a way for all of this to change and it's no longer about the traditions it's no longer about the standards of in this particular case the meat and then the gent and the gentiles receiving um the the gospel but it's mainly peter's response to jesus continuing to have that lordship in his life and that respect level to god and saying like i don't understand this lord can you help me type of thing and it's one of those things that I take in my own life. You know, there there may be some times where God is, it has you in a situation or he's telling you to do something or he's leading you down a path that you're just like, um, God, I don't know about this. Like, I, I don't know about this, Lord. Like, help me, Lord. And continuing to have that lordship in your life of that respect that God, that God <clears throat> deserves because God is all knowing and our responsibility is to just trust him and, and trust the path that he has us on. <clears throat> All right. Excuse me. That's good. 
Mine is um, 10 verse 6. I think we I, I covered this before, but the idea that, an, that, a, that a spiritual angel showed up and told Cornelius, you got to go. You're, you're a great guy. God loves you, but you're missing something. You got to talk to Peter. Um, it's huge to me. It's just it's so huge. And it's, it's, it's really hard to argue um, against the message that Peter preached whenever an angel um, told Cornelius that he had to hear the message. So that's mine. Avery? Um, mine, Logan, is actually the one following yours, verse 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And like we've already talked about, I like that one because it it shows the heart of God in uh, wanting to reach everybody. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. You know, the this heartbeat, of God right here in this verse is why we see, you know, like I just said, that tribe or that great crowd, that great multitude of every tribe, every tongue, every people and every nation crowded around the throne room in heaven, all singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And, you know, we see the beginning of that here with God coming to this man, this imperfect man, Peter, and saying, Hey, what I'm doing here, what I've cleansed, you know, you don't disqualify it. Don't let any other man disqualify it because I'm doing something here and it's something that everybody in the world can be a part of if they want to. Amen. Amen. Mm. It's a great way to finish it off, Dave. Thank you. All right. Um, we uh, on to the to the quiz nerd stuff. All right, y'all ready? The quiz season is starting, and um, the quiz nerds are growing. It's the army of um, quiz nerds in, in anticipation of their first tournament. So. <laughs> I'm growing in activity. <laughs> the quizzes are coming. Um, the quizzes are coming. <laughs> let's uh, right. let's jump into our chapter uh, because it's a pretty long chapter. Um, first one, Acts chapter ten, verse four. Um, it's that second part of the verse, and he said unto him, "So you know that uh, Cornelius is addressing the Lord, right?" In the first part of that verse, but he said unto him refers back to the angel speaking to Cornelius. It's not the Lord. I mean, obviously the Lord is speaking through the angel, but it's the angel that's speaking the words of the Lord in verse four. Um, verse number 12. This is a good one. You know, a lot of question writers like the wherein, therein stuff for pronoun IDs. I know Brother Melder does. So uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 12, wherein were all manner of forfeited beasts. The wherein refers back to um, in the vessel, in the sheet, right, in verse number 11. So that goes back to verse number 11. We, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I think can be an in what? Something that like that. In, in, in what? <laughs> um, Acts chapter 10, verse 16. I think we already mentioned this, but this is in the POI <laughs> as well. Um, this was done thrice, referring back to the whole vision in verses 13 through 15. Um, was done three times, thrice. Acts chapter 10, verse 23, then called he them in, um, referring back to Peter called them, the men which were sent from Cornelius from verse 21, in, and lodged them. So Peter's calling the men sent from Cornelius and in, in lodging them. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 37, again, this is in the POI as well. The phrase, after the baptism which John preached, will be defined as a when, 
that was a certain time period time period after John's baptism. So it's a win. Um, this is a good one. Acts chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. 37 and 38 mention the word and that word. Um, it's The word's described in verse 38, but it's actually fully identified in verse 39, which has been pulled up real quick. 39. Um, yeah, and we are witnesses of all the things. I'm sorry, in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the word in verses 36 and 37 is the whole verse of 38. The word is that God anointed Jesus, and he went about healing and doing good. Um, Last one that I have, um, Acts chapter 10, verse 42. And he commanded us to preach unto the people he referring back to Jesus, all right, which is in verse 38. I know God is mentioned in 41 and 40, but Jesus is the ID for that pronoun because it's talking about Jesus commanding the apostles to go out and preach um, and testify that he was ordained. He, Jesus, was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. And that's all I have for pronouns. All right. Um, I did notice earlier, um, I think it was earlier this week, uh, on SeniorBibleQuizzing.com, which all quizzing nerds should be familiar with, uh, there is uh, an announcements announcement page now, and there was uh, something posted um, a little while back, but it, it both of these are in Chapter 10. Um, there are there's corrections um, listed for Chapter 10, so 10 verse 24. Um, has an extra he in it in the study guide and on the verse cards. And then 10 verse 41 is missing the word of, um, chosen before of God. So just, you know, trying to raise awareness that, um, you know, I, we talked about the, uh, the fallibility of, of humans. So we, uh, you know, there are a couple of mistakes in the study guide, but, um, we just need to be aware of them and make sure you quote them right. So, um, all right. Thank you, Eric, for the the the, pro, the interesting pronouns. Now we're on to notable charting stuff. Um, and there's there's a lot of stuff, and it's always hard for me to kind of pick what I think is interesting for for stuff like this. I usually stick to in chapter crosses just because we're talking about the chapter. Um, common or unclean? That phrase is twice in this chapter. It's also we're going to see it again in chapter eleven. That is a three time phrase. Um, Simon, whose surname was Peter, and so, you know that that phrase is thrown around a lot. It's twice in this chapter, two or three times in this chapter, but then it's worded another way. So that there could be something there. Um, by the seaside, and then verse six and verse thirty-two. Um, names is actually interesting because usually in these things, I, I have a lot of names charting, but there's just Peter's named a lot, and Cornelius is named a lot, and the name Simon. There's also Simon um, the Tanner. There is also Simon the Tanner. We're we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But John is named once, and that's like a one-time name in the chapter. So that's something to definitely take note of. Um, Which verses for... contain the name Tanner? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> um, Cornelius asked one question. It is a four-word question. I've heard. I always note. I would take note of like little like 
shorter things because it could be, you know, if that's the only forward question and say, I don't even know if it is, but that could be a way that they, they someone writes that question. Um, and he only asks one question. Um, someone. Um, in Acts chapter 10, Peter, <laughs> Peter asks three questions. He asks the question in verse 21, 29, and 47. And to me, it's pretty much a 30-point quote worthy um question so that's definitely something to be ready for um always study your questions and your statements and your punctuation and such um two consecutive verses contain the name simon that's verses five and six and i think it's two different simons i think um i have to go look at that. but um then we have a lot of geographical location stuff. I'm not going to go through all of them, but study your geographical locations. Uh, body parts. We have three body parts named. We have feet in verse 25, mouth in verse 34, and tongues in verse 46, which technically tongues is yeah, the body. The body part case, tongue is so only once really in the whole mouth, study, but... and that's in David's tongue in chapter 2. Right. Right. Um, I just realized that as I could you argue that to be misleading though that tongues isn't a body part. I mean, any question that's centered around it. Well, I mean, we believe in context, right? And been senior Bible quizzing, thank God. And you know, it's fact. It's not talking about the body part. It's talking about the language, right? Right. Um, Although the word for language as tongue came from the body part, so etymologically those are super similar. Mm. If I was your coach, I wouldn't let you bring that down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not saying don't contest. <laughs> well, hey, luckily yeah. you're not my coach. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have let him bring it down. Um, I would contest everything in practice, guys. Everything. You could yes. ask him. <laughs> and you know what? He wasn't very good at contesting, but then he kept doing it and he got a lot better. So, you know, just practice makes perfect. I was literally about to say that seven times, but rice is eight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a righteous man gets a contest denied seven times, but he keeps on standing up and saying contest. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, uh, A verse of Acts chapter 10 contains both the words eat and drink. That's verse 41. I like that one. Uh, Two verses describe Cornelius as a centurion. That's a good one. I, I like describes this year. The the narrative study, there's a lot of descriptions of people, and I like crosses based on descriptions. I think they're they're interesting. Uh, speaking of descriptions, uh, the phrase devout man is in one verse, and devout soldier is in another. So two different people are described as devout in this chapter. Um, Three verses speak of fearing God. I think Ooh, this was isn't something the, I... Isn't the devout man that is also described as the devout man a soldier too? Ooh. Yes, Ooh. but it's not the same person. They're right. not the same person. Right, that, that's what I'm saying. So technically there's two devout soldiers, but I don't think you can make a question out of that. <laughs> which devout <laughs> soldier is described as a devout soldier and which devout yeah. soldier is described as a devout man? Well, you know, what um two soldiers are described as devout in verses, quote them. But he's described as a centurion, not a soldier, so he is a soldier, but wait, yeah. just to stay on the yeah. tangent. Oh, wait, All right. okay, anyway, so POI tongue um, or tongues describing language will not be considered a body part. 
There you go. <laughs> the the forebear has spoken. It is spoken. Yes. So let it be done. <laughs> <laughs> Contestant nine. All right. Um, nation of the Jews, land of the Jews in this chapter. Um, that is going to be one. Uh, one verse talks about the vessel descending, and one refers to it being received up. So there's definitely going to be a cross quote or something there. Um, a, the voice spoke to Peter. Uh, it, it's it's I, you know it says a voice spoke to him in verse um, thirteen, and the voice spoke to him in verse fifteen. And obviously, it then goes on, and I think it says the spirit spoke to him, but it says use specifically the word voice. Um, so there's a way to, to make that across. Also oneness guys, like the voice from heaven, the spirit spoke all that's in red letter in the Bible too. So mm. Jesus oneness. <laughs> um, in which three verses is who described as a tanner? There you go, Avery. So, um, and that, it goes back to chapter nine as well. So chapter nine, um, verse 43, 10, six and 10, 32, all describe Simon as a tanner, uh, Simon, the tanner as a tanner. Uh, <laughs> um, this is a tough one. Um, 10 verse 19 records while Peter did what the spirit did, what and verse 44 mm-hmm. says, while Peter did what the Holy ghost did, what, uh, which obviously the spirit and the Holy ghost are the same, but, and that's why verse reference needs to be in the question there um because yeah you can't you can't pretend like the spirit and the holy ghost are two different things but that is a fun one um all right and this, this is something that i saw on the study guide which this is such a faubert thing to me um he he noted similar phrases worketh righteousness and doing good and that's like such an experience level cross, like that that like would be very difficult. <laughs> that's to me, that's like that's Faubert. Just two phrases that don't share any like they might share two letters in the two phrases, but like they are similar phrases. They are referring to the same thing, but they are it's hard to make that connection if you're just um going off your rote memorization, right? And not right. thinking about the meaning and the context and understanding what these words and phrases mean together. Uh, hey, there's this really good podcast I've been hearing about that goes into the meaning behind stuff. I suggest y'all listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug. Yeah, yeah, shameless plug. I think, uh, this I think is like a guys are the shirt Inception for or something. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, oh gosh self-referential all right well that's all i have i I had a lot and charting you know charting is something that can never end if you don't put a stop to it i mean you can you you always have more things to study but um if you ever want just like a like a uh i guess okay you know what let's close it off what do you guys think um, are beneficial things to study in charting? Like the most beneficial things, the bang for your buck, right? What do, I would, what would say you guys repeated say? phrases or similar phrases. I guess. Well, that's hard. Repeated phrases. First of all, it's kind of yeah. hard to find repeated phrases. I believe they're on the study cards. Um, but it's kind of, to me, it's been hard to find. I actually wrote a <laughs> Python script to find repeated phrases for me. Um, but uh, I don't recommend you. You don't have to do that. Um, but 
repeated phrase is kind of hard to come on and to to find, but uh, unless you're really getting into the concordance, another right, shameless Eric, plug. Where you pay somebody that did all the concordance work, which yeah, shameless plug. <laughs> um, Eric has a Quizlet out there with a bunch of concordance work. But yeah, I would say uh, repeated phrases, similar phrases are great for basically every question writer. Um, Jonathan, do you have something? Well, I was going to say as far as like life application quizzing uh, as well, but immediately more life. I love the cross references because it gets you to think about the Bible as something that references and builds upon itself line upon line, precept upon precept. And so whether or not uh, you're going to get every single two time word correct when you're quoting through them. I think is not so much the point, although definitely it has quizzing merit as far as being the basis for a lot of cross-reference questions. But I think teaching your mind to think in a cross-reference way is really, really going to change. You know what I think the is the, the least thing thing. for your book? Amen. Returning. Oh well, yeah, for sure. But like <laughs> even so two Ten and time three words? time words, like some. <laughs> I say some two or three time words, like some three time words, like by self absolutely means nothing like don't waste your time studying three time words that cannot be crossed in any other way right. but just the word itself like if there's a a two-time word that it has a better connection because it's a part of a larger phrase or thought then study that larger phrase or thought don't study the word itself but if it's a two-time word that in the word itself it carries a lot of meaning like the word hell in acts chapter two that's a two-time word but because it's a it's a noun that carries a lot of meaning, hell, the grave, right? And in the context of Acts 2, yeah, I want to study that. Or like the word, if resurrection was a two-time word. By itself, that could stand alone in a cross-reference quotation question. A question writer could just say, quote the two verses containing the word resurrection. And that would make sense. Sure. Or, or like notable words like fire. I, I had like a... Uh, a question in 2017 when we did Acts that was like two verses of Acts chapter two contain the word fire, quote these verses, stuff like that, which brings up another point, not just the one, two and three time words in chapter, study, but yeah. on a narrower scale in chapter one, two and three time words, I feel like are super helpful, especially mm -hmm. Jonathan, like you said, for the cross reference questions. Um, but uh, I think notable punctuation is a huge thing that you can study. Um, uh, obviously all the questions and all the exclamations, parentheticals are also ones that you can look into. Um, yeah, I, I actually talked to Russ about that re, um, fairly recently, and he no longer writes questions on parentheticals, sure. which if you want to know what the parenthetical is, is the thing is the words between the parentheses. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, I would say those are helpful when uh, going to like quoting the words of somebody because the yes. parenthetical might not be in what they say, but also uh, an, a huge one, especially when you get into thirties is statements that cross over multiple verses, knowing where the statement begins, knowing where the statement ends. I can't tell you how many times I got burned because I didn't know where the statement started and where the statement ended on a quotation question. And I content with I those to. matter as well. Sorry. Right. I just completely cut you off. You're but good. I know, I, I know when I was, when I was quizzing, for the first few years that I was studying statements, all I would study was just memorizing which verses had the whole statement in it. So then I'd get to a question or I'd get into a quiz and the question was formed off of, off of the um, content of the statement. Well, I was completely lost because I may have learned the verses, but I had no idea what the content was. 
So understanding, so, so for instance, my coach, Sister Elkins, she sat down with me towards when we were getting closer to the nationals and stuff. And she actually picked out the, the, <clears throat> the, um, content of each of those statements to where then she's asking questions like what would she would simulate what would be asked asked in a quiz so for instance a statement that contains or that's speaking about fire statement that's speaking about heaven that way you actually understand what those statements are talking about and not only just having one one tell word on those statements going through those verses one or maybe multiple of them and picking out multiple things that are covered in that statement to where then there's not a question that you'll come across that you haven't thought of Logan, previously or We actually or heard just did that like last week with my format. team. Like we went through all right. of the statements that could be cross crossing multiple verses, oh. and I was like, okay, what are good <laughs> noun phrases? Because it's never like verbs; it's always nouns or noun phrases. Mm-hmm. So like you want to look for, yeah, yeah like right. men of Israel. That's big. Like that might seem things. common, but you know, or some. Yep. Sometimes you'll run into stuff like one statement mentions running, quote this statement, something like that. But most of the time you're right. It is like fire yeah. or, or a list, you know, like three Judea, something like that, you know, where it's a noun. Yeah. Right. That's another thing that's really good to study is lists. Yeah. Um, I have kind of what I call like basic charting um, that, that I tried my best to get my kids to do, you know, I, Avery started to kind of do it every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but we have like one time, two time words and three time words are great. But like we said, you shouldn't just memorize them. You know, one time words are good, but like if there's a one time word that if it can't be used in a question, you should always think like a question writer. Um, if it, if you can't write a question on it, like why take the time to study it? There's plenty of other useful things. to study. And there's like, one thing that I am a firm believer in with quizzing is knowing your role on the team. For the longest time, I was the 10-point guy on the team. Like, it was my job to go out and get as many 10-pointers as I can as I could. And because of that, I really focused on one-time words because a lot of 10-point questions were centered around key one-time words. Like, again, Eric, not like thyself or doth, you know, just a random grammatical word thrown in there, but like big key words like resurrection, fire, david names and stuff like that if you know that and your particular role is for a 10 a 10 point role which is great you know i again i was one of those quizzers you can focus on stuff like that but you know if you are the 20 point guy if you're the person on the team that is mainly relied upon to get 30s you can start getting into more of that bigger charting and i would say too like for the this, deeper charting stuff uh, material in particular yeah. acts as a lot of dialogue. So you want to know spoken words. Like I would say if someone only speaks twice or three times, mm-hmm. you need to know every instance of where that person speaks and then questions too. Yeah. I literally did that with my <laughs> quizzers. <laughs> I did that with my quizzers today, actually. <laughs> hey, yeah. And another, uh, yeah. Yeah. On that topic, I had a question one year. At, at nationals that was like quote the questions of jesus it was doctrine yeah it was the year we did doctrine but like in acts there's not too many times where jesus is directly speaking so i would say i mean jesus is probably named a lot but and that's times like that's good to know like not even the something like, but if a question is said, jesus commands this i'm like guys like i'm telling my intermediate quizzers if you hear jesus talking nine times out of ten it's the beginning of acts like go to acts chapter one verses one through ten <laughs> <You know? clears throat> Mm-hmm. Right. 
or and then I, you know I'm I'm writing chapter thirteen right now, but it's a lot of words of Saul, and then they start referencing him as Paul. But like, if you hear according to the words of Paul, according to the words of Saul, like that, you should immediately go to the end of the book of Acts, and you should kind of or not the end of the book of Acts, the end of our study in in in, in Acts this year, and really know like, okay, this question definitely has to be around here. Now, right, spoken words is crucial this year and kind of unique to being so important this year i completely agree um and words spoken to people like chapter five you know what did peter say to ananias what did peter say to sapphira you know what did you know the words of gamaliel what did the council say to each other what did they say to the apostle you know when you that that's what questions are are written on so just prepare write questions yourself um and we could get into more more nerdy stuff, but that's uh, the biggest things. If you study your names, geographic locations, body parts, food, celestial animals, bodies, sun and moon, a couple colors <laughs> this year, numbers, celestial body. There are two celestial bodies. There are some precious metals, Jupiter, and there, there are some Jupiter Greek gods. Not really. Um, <laughs> not, that's X thirteen. Uh, is yeah. that this year? Well, Wait, you're is, telling me that Jupiter is actually an X. Well, you know, Avery, that's totally, the story that you mentioned I was totally about just pulling them like... calling Barnabas and Paul <laughs> Zeus, and yeah, that's they they gave them the Roman names, Jupiter oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Mercurius. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited. We've we've stuck through it for ten episodes. I'm glad you guys have stuck with me. Um, really excited to to keep doing this. We only got four more. We're gonna make them great. We're gonna have fun with it. Um, we're almost done with intermediate material, right? Goodness, like wow! And then I think Eric's gonna start slow. stop <laughs> coming around whenever we uh, we finish intermediate material. <laughs> you said no, my experience be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for uh, for listening, and um, we'll we'll be watching on UPC Quiz, see how everybody's doing, and checking on everybody, and um, excited to to feel the quiz season starting just it's always an exciting time of year so stay safe safe travels and uh god bless <laughs>